Okay, if you have a Bible, you can open to Isaiah chapter 9. Look at the first seven verses together this morning, and, uh, and actually each Sunday morning throughout Advent. <clears throat> and the, the text is also printed in the bulletin on the next page, Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. Uh, as has already been said, this is the first Sunday in Advent. Advent <clears throat> marks the beginning of the annual church calendar. It's the beginning of the year, even though it's not January 1st. This is when we start our year. Uh, it's a season of anticipation that leads up to Christmas. So Advent is the, the four Sundays leading up to uh, Christmas. The word Advent means coming. And so it's a season that's leading up to the celebration of the coming of Christ into the world, the incarnation when the Son of God came in the flesh as a human being. So Advent is uh, sort of an anticipation of that coming into the world, the first coming of Christ. All of the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, what we have is our Old Testament, are in a sense Advent readings. They all reveal the tension of the world as it is awaiting its Savior. The tension between uh, doubt and despair and misery on the one hand, and faith and hope and longing and joy on the other hand whole Old Testament and all the history that it represents, all the work of God, uh, God among his people, the working of God with his people and for his people, all the, the whole Old Testament builds up in great suspense toward the coming of the Christ. That's what it's all about, leading up to that. So the passage we're going to look at um, during this season is sort of one of the high points of that. It's one of the great prophecies um, proclaiming the Christ. It's one of the highest points with the clearest views of his coming. Isaiah foretold much about the nature of the God-man in, in, uh, in his book, uh, but especially here in chapter 9, in these four titles that we see in verse 6, these, these titles, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These describe important aspects of who Jesus would be, important aspects of his ministry, what he would do. And so we're going to look at um, each one of those titles, each one of those names that gets applied to Jesus Christ um, each Sunday in Advent. So this, this week we'll start with the first, which is Wonderful Counselor. <clears throat> so let me pray, then I'll read the passage. <clears throat> Father, apart from you, apart from your word, apart from the revelation of Jesus Christ, we would be in the dark concerning our relationship with you. We pray that you would not leave anyone here in the dark, but that as your word is read and proclaimed and explained and considered together, you would be present through your Holy Spirit in ways that renew us from the inside out and awaken us to who you are and shine the light of Christ in our hearts and in our minds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in great darkness have seen a great light. 
Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us... A child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, um, we're not going to talk about that whole passage, at least not today. Uh, We've got four Sundays to look at it uh, in its entirety. Um, But as I said, Advent is a season that's characterized by tension. And you can see, you can feel, you can hear the tension that exists in this passage. Uh, Advent uh, recalls the anticipation that the people of God had for the Messiah. They were people who were, um, metaphorically speaking, living in darkness because of their rebellion against God, because of their sin, because they... They didn't see God, which was their most desperate need to see God face to face and to know him and to be saved by him and know his salvation. Um, They were were living in anticipation of that, and there's this tension that's associated with that. They knew something of who he would be, this king that's being spoken of here in this passage, this coming king, this Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one of God, who would be the savior of his people. They knew something about who he would be and what he would do, They knew something about what they needed him to do. They had these felt needs that were very great. They lived in a broken world full of hostility and pain and fear. That's familiar to us. Those are strong felt needs that they had for what they they needed Jesus to be for them, that they needed Christ to be for them. And whether they always recognized it or not, their real needs were even greater. Their real needs surpassed their felt needs. They desperately needed redemption. They needed forgiveness. They needed reconciliation to God. They needed that relationship to be restored above all. And they needed to be secured and to be assured of it. So to properly celebrate a season of anticipation like this, a season that's often characterized by tension, it can't all just be cups of cocoa by a cozy fire. That's, that doesn't really describe Advent um, for us. The world was living in a nightmare from which there was no waking up until the dawn, the daybreak, when the light of God shone upon them. Advent is a season for confessing, if the Christ doesn't show up soon, I'm not going to make it. So Advent should fairly well reflect the tension that exists in all of our lives. It really does, that tension, that same tension exists 
for us. We're excited about the return of the Lord. We've seen his coming into the world. We know about it. We've heard about it. We've trusted it. His first coming into the world. And we are awaiting his return. We're excited about it. We're preparing for him. But we have to wait. We have to endure hardships while we wait. And there's a lot of confusion during this time of waiting and tension. We know something of what it will be like when he comes again. We really do know something of it. We know something of our need for his presence, our need for him to come again. But we can be confused about our felt needs, confused about our real needs. We're not altogether sure exactly what to expect from Jesus when he comes again. Before Jesus came into the world, the people of God were living in the dark. Even though God's people had the revelation of God, In the scriptures, they were still prone to have these misshapen expectations for the Messiah. You see that playing out a lot in the Gospels as Jesus encounters the people who had long expected him. When the light came into the world, he spent a lot of time gloriously disappointing people who thought they knew what to expect from the Messiah. They thought they knew what he would be like and what he would do. Jesus spent a lot of time exposing false assumptions about who he would be and what his ministry would be like, the nature of it and the point of it all. He spent a lot of time teaching what the kingdom of God was really about. And he did so in ways that didn't sit well with the people who thought they knew, who thought they were wise, who thought they had all the expectation, all the, all the right and proper expectations for the Messiah. <clears throat> His teaching rubbed them wrong. He came with true wisdom from heaven, but it was a wisdom not easily recognized or accepted. His is a startling wisdom. It always is, every time you hear it. His, His is a startling wisdom. It's a controversial wisdom. It's otherworldly wisdom. It's spiritual wisdom. And that's the significance of this first title that's given by Isaiah, Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. We see it throughout his life. They were surprised by his wisdom even as a young boy in the temple, just asking questions. They marveled at his gracious words. They were astonished at his teachings in the synagogue because he taught as one who had special unique divine authority he said things like no one else ever said and it really should be no surprise that Jesus is so surprising when the best of human wisdom apart from him results in the whole world dwelling in a land of deep darkness what do you think it's going to be like when the light of God bursts onto the scene His wonderful counsel would be bracing. Even though his people knew of his coming for centuries, they never saw him coming. His counsel is the kind you never could have guessed, not in a million years. But once you hear it, you realize it's the only thing that could ever make sense. His counsel is the only kind of wisdom that truly satisfies And that also keeps you always thirsting for more. His counsel is the kind that you can come back to over and over again for a lifetime and find it ever newer 
and ever deeper than you thought it could be. <clears throat> if you gathered up all the peculiar wisdom found in the scriptures, the holy wisdom, the otherworldly wisdom that the world does not have apart from God's revelation, if you gathered all of it up in the scriptures and put it all together in one person, that person is Jesus. He's the embodiment of the wise counsel, the wonderful counsel of God, the wisdom that makes no sense to the world, that seems like foolishness to the world. He is that embodied, personified. In fact, he's the origin of wise counsel because he is the eternal word of God in the flesh. The Lord's counsel is so bright that for those dwelling in deep darkness, it's hard not to shield the eyes against him. That's a regular experience for those who encounter Jesus, for those living apart from God, for those who project their false assumptions onto God. Jesus' counsel, when he shows up and begins teaching, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God, it's a shocking wake-up call. His counsel exposes us, and it challenges us at the deepest levels. His counsel brings restoration but in ways we didn't think we needed. His wonderful counsel is spiritual. Spiritual. That means that it has to do with the Spirit. It has to do with the Holy Spirit of divine relationship, the restoration of your spirit and your relationship to God. That's at the heart of his wonderful counsel. A counselor is someone who has knowledge and wisdom <clears throat> Jesus offers us true knowledge and true wisdom, which is about how to live with God rather than apart from him. How to live with him. Spiritual wisdom is knowing how to relate to the one true God. This is why Jesus came into the world, to be a light for the nations, as Isaiah says multiple times in his prophecy. Jesus coming, would, he would be a light for the nations, a light for the Gentiles, people like you and me, to reveal in himself how humanity can live with God. And he does that first and foremost, really, in his own person. Humanity living with God, that's Jesus, because he's both God and man. And so humanity is living with God in himself, in the one person of Jesus Christ. It's his life with God that constitutes true wisdom. As the scriptures say, he has become wisdom for us from God <clears throat> in his own person. And then he has taught us, he's taught other people, he's taught the nations, he's revealed to all of us how to find this life with God, true life with God, how to find it in himself. As we trust him and as we follow him. So if you want to know how to relate to God, how to live with God always instead of apart from him, that's the true wisdom that we should all want how to live with God and how to relate to God, then you need to come to Jesus with faith, resting upon him and learning from him. As he said in John's Gospel, chapter 8, <clears throat> I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So whoever follows Jesus, that includes entrusting yourself to him, opening yourself up to him, praying in his name, learning from him, learning how to 
obey God through faith in him, whoever follows Jesus emerges from the chaos and the nothingness and the ignorance and the fear and the darkness of life apart from God. We emerge from that and we have the light of life. It's true life. It's eternal life with God, spiritual knowledge of God who has made himself known for a relationship by his grace because he loves us. So you can stop pretending that you haven't been in the dark all along. We can all stop pretending that we haven't been living in the dark, pretending that we had everything figured out, we have it all together. You can let the light of Jesus overrule and expel the darkness of your false assumptions about God and dismantle your misshapen expectations for the Savior that you think you need. Let him just eradicate that as the day eradicates the night. You can let him be to you the Savior that he is, the Savior that you truly need. You let him dictate the terms of the relationship. And you accept those terms. You can come out of the dark into his light so that the doubt and despair and misery of life without God, life apart from God, that's already lost the game. Jesus has won. Jesus has the victory. God has the victory. And that means light and wonderful counsel. In our wonderful counselor, we have faith and hope and love incarnate. Come to open his life to you. Come to lead the way to everlasting joy. So you ask these questions. What is life about? Everybody asks these questions. What should I do with my life? What am I doing as I live in relationship with God and with other people? What should I be doing? How can I be doing the things that I should be doing in those relationships? How can that even be possible? What true hope is there for people like us? Is there any true love for people like us? What does death mean? What comes after it? Who will release me from all of my fears? Who will break all the bonds of my slavery, my self-imposed slavery? Who will deliver me from myself? Why? Why do we have to endure all the evil and suffering that there are in the world? The one who looks to Jesus, who trusts and follows Jesus, will see Jesus himself at the heart of the answers to questions like these. Jesus is right there in the heart of those. In fact, when you come to the wonderful counselor, he will surprise you. He'll help you to see your most desperate questions, the biggest questions of your life, He'll help you to see them in an entirely new light, in light of himself. We need his wonderful counsel because it doesn't just expose us as, as spiritually naked and hungry and destitute and bankrupt and dead. His counsel about how to live with God in his kingdom, it revives us and it renews us and it energizes us and encourages us and makes us right and makes us whole. His counsel teaches us how to trust God's love for us like little children, little vulnerable, meek children, dependent, because he himself came as a little child, vulnerable, meek, dependent on his father. His counsel teaches us how to read our circumstances in light of God's love. Not to weigh God's love according to our circumstances as we perceive it. 
His counsel teaches us to expect tribulations in this life, to expect them, to submit ourselves to the discipline of the Lord at those times, to look to connect with God in the hard, dry places, but to be assured that all will be joy, even if we can hardly imagine it in this life. His counsel teaches us to forgive without limit, even when that same person sins against you and offends you repeatedly, not just to forgive them seven times. Seems like a completely fair number. But to forgive an exponential number of times greater than that, 70 times seven. Limitless. His counsel teaches us to take up our own crosses and to follow Him simply because that's where He is. And after all, where else would you rather be? His counsel teaches us to entrust ourselves to God, even when the wisest teachers of this world would laugh at us for doing anything of the sort. Here's some of his most wonderful counsel from Luke 6, one of his sermons. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and evil. This is not the counsel you'll find in a therapist's office. This is not the counsel you'll find in royal throne rooms. The counsel you'll find in tents on the battlefield. This is not the counsel you'll find in courts of law or in conferences with business consultants. This is not the kind of counsel you'd ever find in the whole wide world apart from Jesus. He is the wonderful counselor, and he alone. Colossians 2 says that in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And even if you come to those who counsel in his name, to elders of the church or friends in the church who would represent Jesus, to you, to teachers in the church who would explain his wisdom to you. Ultimately, you come to Jesus alone for his counsel. Don't ever stop short of coming to the wonderful counselor himself. Don't ever stop short of that. It is he who came. It is he who spoke. It is he whose wisdom rings out in all the scripture. Jesus teaches us what the human life with God will look like in the words of his mouth, and in the shape of his own life. The scriptures teach us to ask God for wisdom. The best thing Solomon ever did was to admit that he was not wise, to confess his utter dependence on God for wisdom, and to ask God for true wisdom. So asking for wisdom implies that we don't even know what we don't know. 
I'm at his mercy for wisdom. So it's okay to admit that you don't have it all figured out, that you're not even sure what true wisdom really is, what it really looked like in your life. It's okay to admit that. We might not be clear on what to expect when we ask for God's wisdom, what it looks like to live with him in this moment. But we know this. Jesus is the wonderful counselor who came into the gloom of this world to dispel the darkness of life apart from God. We can go to him. We can always go to him. Just as people came from far and wide from every nation to seek the great wisdom of of King Solomon, David's son, we can go to the preeminent son of David, the Christ King, the God-man. We can go to Jesus and ask him and learn from him like Mary sitting at his feet, hanging on his every word, just soaking it in, letting his wonderful counsel wash over us for our life with God. We should do that. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the wonderful counselor. The world has seen it. The Gospels record it. The apostles celebrate it. No one can explain you. No one can predict you. No one can really anticipate everything about who you are, what you have done, what you would do, what you will do. But we pray that uh, through a relationship with you, as your spirit unites us to you, as your spirit awakens us to God, as your spirit helps us to pray, as your spirit gives us the wisdom that is from above, We pray that uh, through faith in you, each one of us would know truly how to live life with God rather than apart from God, that we would know how to relate to God, that we would see that relationship with God lived out in you, and that we would dive into you through faith and be found in you by faith so that your relationship with God can become our relationship with God. We could draw strength from it. We could draw wisdom for life from it. We pray that you would keep our eyes fixed on you, on who you are, what you've done for us in the gospel, what you promised to do for us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.